One thing that you and we, most of us felt when we came home is that it wasn't home. I was in a world of my own and my own sympathy. And I figured, you know, if you saw what I saw, lived what I lived, you'd be angry too. Just leave me alone. Well, by God, Bob, I told enough people that and I drank enough to support it. That guess what? I, the people started leaving me alone. And the Agent Orange is slowly but surely taking over. And yep, the wheelchair. But I'll tell you, I feel so blessed. And I know I'm going to probably get people saying, oh, he's blessed, blessed, blessed my ass. No, this guy is blessed. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. We had the chance to meet Army veteran Joe Campbell in our earlier conversation. Joe's service took him to Germany, Vietnam, and back to Germany. Prior to his separation in 1968, Joe, welcome back to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Well, thank you, Bob. It's good to be back with you. It's good to have you. In our first visit, Joe, you provided us with a recounting of your service history, as well as really a dramatic description of the journey you began to reconcile many of your thoughts and feelings related to your Vietnam experience. And if folks haven't had a chance to hear that powerful conversation, I encourage them to do so. Part of what we discussed was your remarkable dedication to veterans of all wars, I might add, as well as veterans' issues. And those actions have taken many forms, like parade participation or speaking at area schools about your experiences and ongoing outreach with veterans who are enrolled in alcohol and drug programs at the VA. However, today, I want to focus on two truly unique things that you took part in. Let's start with your involvement with the vehicle caravan that transported a remnant piece of steel from the World Trade Center to Milwaukee. What was that all about? Well, Bob, that started about a year prior to 2011 when I was serving on the War Memorial Corporation Board of Directors. And the War Memorial Center was a participant entity along with the Marcus Corporation and a number of others to form the War Memorial Corporation. At that given meeting, roughly about 25 members from various entities of the corporation 
one gentleman, Gary Gruno, a well-known uh, businessman in Milwaukee, said he was at a uh, meeting in, in Texas and heard about getting remnants from the 9-11 disaster, but that you could memorialize. So when he came back and brought it to our board in Milwaukee, he thought it would be a very good idea for the war memorial to uh, seek taining uh, a, a piece of the 9-11 wreckage, if you will, as a constant remembrance. So that Dave Drent did apply for it. It took about a year. There were all kinds of restrictions on it because it's, it just is not a show-and-tell piece. And uh, Dave Drent applied with a con- or contracted a uh, trucking company to pick this up just before September 11th, 2011, the 10th anniversary. And roughly about two days, three days or so prior to that uh, that date, the trucking company evidently did not have adequate insurance coverage required by the Port Authority, which was the uh, official source of obtaining these artifacts. So Dave had called me. I was on the Veterans Board. And ironically, I had just purchased a open-faced, open-back truck. I called the Port Authority in, in New York and sent them our insurance criteria. And sure enough, we, we met all their needs and we could pick it up, but we must do it at least by, I think it was September 8th, because they were going to shut down for the uh, upcoming remembrance ceremony on the 11th. So I, I would go get it. And I had a very close friend on the fire department who was also a Vietnam veteran. And I felt it would be, you know, we're going to have to drive to New York about 1,200 miles and come right back. So I needed help. And I called my friend Warren Skineski, retired battalion vice president of the fire department. He said he really would love to, but he he would recommend another fellow, uh, Mark Fox, who was a battalion fire chief. And I figured, well, we've got to do something. And I said, well, thank you. And and, I connected with Mark and Sure enough, on like a Wednesday, we took off early in the morning, about 8 o'clock, and we got there to New York about 8, 9 o'clock the next morning, drove right on through. They loaded up a uh, 2,000-pound I-beam, very distorted from the tragedy, and it fit on the truck perfectly, and it was probably about 10 foot long, and I happened to bring an American flag with us, Bob, and... I, I don't know why, other than I just felt when we, whatever the we were going to get, and sure enough, we wrapped it, draped it, if you will, with the American flag. And, and Mark Fox had gone to the 9/11 services for the fire departments after that tragedy to help out with other Milwaukee firefighters, and he wanted to go down to the 1010 fire department, which was the one right next to the Twin Towers, and. Mm-hmm. So Mark and I drove down New York, and what a crazy city. Anyway, as it turns out, someone took a picture of a truck in front of the 1010 building, and we had the, the flag draping this piece of steel. So people were asking, is that that 9-11 steel? And as we started heading back to well, Wisconsin, we get in a traffic jam and a truck driver would be pulling by, hey, is that that 9-11 steel? And <laughs> thus began the name that we identified it as. Mm-hmm. So as it turns out, the Illinois-Indiana border 
And lo and behold, there's some motorcycles there. And it was probably around eight or nine in the morning. And obviously we were very tired. We had rested just a little bit at a way station. And they said, no, we're here to escort you to Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, my Lord, wait a minute here. Yeah. But we have to wait for the state police because they're going to lead the way. And I'm, wait a minute. How'd they even know that we were going to be here? So sure enough, about uh, 20 to 30 bikers and the two Illinois State Police squad cars led the way from the Indiana border all the way up to Wisconsin. And <laughs> this is a, just a funny side note. That's a toll, toll booth. There are probably about four of them along the way. We didn't have to pay one. <laughs> so we were able to, to drive right on through. Once we got over the Illinois border into Wisconsin, there's a, uh, a way service area right as you get in and welcome to Wisconsin. And the state police pulled the car across the, the uh, interstate, interstate there and blocked traffic and then waved us on to go into that service area to get off the uh, tollway and into the service area. And when we turned that corner and went in about, oh, about an eighth of a mile, we then could see why there was uh, a, a line of American flags, both sides of this driveway, long driveway. And one thing led to another. And sure enough, they were about 500 of these motorcycles, all different organizations, see the Harley riders, the, the veteran riders, the lady riders, and they were going to escort us to Milwaukee. And I thought, holy cow, Mark and I were just complete. We were in tears. I, I, first of all, I, I find it remarkable, the coincidence with the truck and the insurance and all that. But at this point, at this point in your, your saga, you, I would imagine, are just exhausted from all of this driving. And, and, but at the same time, what was it like? Were you, you're carrying a precious cargo here. What were you feeling inside? Well, we were just, quite frankly, Bob, I, I, I was so stirred up with emotion and carrying the lives and, and, and the loves and, and the fears of everything that happened that day and continued. And, and, and then feeling so blessed and honored to bring this so that we would never forget. You know, we kept hearing, we will never forget, we'll never forget. They went in when, when others ran out and all these things were going through my mind. And I, 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 I just felt so uh, one sad, but at the same token, so blessed to bring this here so that we, we live that we will never forget because it would be there. And, and Mark, Mark, without a doubt, we were both in hugging and in tears with this honor and this blessing. So that, that, that was even to this day, as I share the story with you and, and, and our projected audience, it's still, it, it, it will never leave me. It will never leave me. It, it sounds as if there was truly a spiritual connection for you at that point. Bob, you know, we went through this briefly in the other talk about my recovery in alcoholism, which was in 1997. So, you know, I've had a few years under my belt. And to say that I was fully enriched. And, and when I say blessed, I mean spiritually able to have this 
I, I hate calling it an opportunity, but to be blessed, to be called, if you will, to say we need help. And that we be in the war memorial and we, we meaning all the people that would come to know and see this for years and years to come and that we would keep that spirit alive. So yeah, it, spiritual awakening, it, it, it was another additional spiritual awakening, which will always be with me. And that steel has a fairly prominent home now here in Milwaukee, does it not? It does, Bob. When, when we got it back, I just have to briefly share, when we left the Illinois-Wisconsin border, and with all these motorcycles, the Wisconsin State Police, as well as the various county polices, officers, escorted us from, if you will, the Illinois border around Kenosha, all the way up to Milwaukee. And every overpass that we went under was met with stars and stripes, fire trucks with their ladders up and flags on, and, and, the, and the people saluting us every overpass into Milwaukee. And they actually shut down the freeway when we got into Milwaukee proper, where 894 and 94 meet. And they escorted us with, with all the traffic was removed all the way up to the Milwaukee Fire Department, where we presented it to the fire chief and, and the, at their headquarters. And then they escorted us with their fire trucks over to the war memorial where it was to be placed. So uh, I, I don't know what I can say. Uh, oh, I, one thing I do have to say, when I, I said I early on when I called my friend Warren Skenefke, the Vietnam vet who said he couldn't go with me on the trip. Right. Well, Warren was the one who set this up with all the fire departments and the bike riders and everything. He, from behind, a very quiet, silent man who got everybody involved. Uh, it, it just uh, was, was an absolute and, and rightful tribute. Yeah, so that's, that's what, uh, what happened. So. Well, just a really, truly a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But I, I'm reluctant to use that phrase, once-in-a-lifetime, Joe, because you've had a few of those. And I want to shine the light on another truly remarkable experience. This involved a luncheon that you organized a while ago at a Milwaukee-area restaurant. I, I'm, yeah. proud to, I'm proud to say that I was one of the invitees there. There are about two dozen veterans on hand, and all came to hear the author of the book entitled Fire Road. And the author of that book is a Vietnamese woman by the name of Kim Phuc. Would you tell us about Kim Phuc? Well, Bob, <laughs> you, you are pulling on some, some wonderful, wonderful memories, some that had some very tragic beginnings, but some blessed, wonderful endings, or at least uh, continuations. When I was in Vietnam in 1967, one of my jobs, I was uh, artillery and automotive service for various units, be it the 101st, the 1st, the, the 25th, and what have you, in infantry. One of my, uh, we would get a day off periodically, and the medical civic action team had uh, sent a request for volunteers to help perform guard duty as they went out to the various villages to perform basic medical and warm their heart uh, type thing with the American soldiers. 
and I volunteered for that. I, I just, I loved doing stuff like that. And one of the villages we went to was uh, Trang Bang, which was about 15, 20 miles out of Kuchi, the headquarters of the uh, 25th Infantry Division. And while I was there, I had taken some photographs of some the huts and the people and the kids and, and what have you. Plus, I had candy for the kids, and, and I'd taken these photographs, like I said. And years later, I see in the paper, uh, I think it was Newsweek magazine, that this girl, girl that was napalmed, it turned out to be somewhat of an accident, but nonetheless was terribly burned. And what a, what a horrid picture of her running down this uh, dirt road with other uh, villagers. Their village had been bombed with, uh, bombed with napalm, and she was burning up. It was uh, terrible. That picture is probably one of the, the ten worst, if you will, of the Vietnam War. So I saw this picture, and, and I, again, I was there in 67, and this tragedy happened in June of 72. And so that little girl that I knew or knew of was probably four or five and maybe six years old. And so, you know, we're looking at a few years difference and saying, my God, plus I wrote on the back of one of these photographs about 150 families in this village, Trang Bang. Well, that one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden I see in Milwaukee uh, Journal newspaper that they have a women's lecture series coming to Milwaukee at the Marcus Center, at the very big center for uh, entertainment and, and speeches, et cetera. And uh, Kim Fook was gonna be the featured speaker for a women's only event. And <laughs> wait a minute here. And one of my very good friends, Bob Curry, founder of the Dry Hooch, his daughter worked for the Journal Sentinel and I asked Bob if he would find out if there's any way I could meet this Kim Folk. I've got these pictures I'd like to see. That might be her, or certainly one of her good friends. And uh, sure enough, Bob was able through his daughter to get me a seat about five rows back from the main uh, podium. Nobody on the left and right of me, and I was in the center. And she gave this most beautiful talk about peace and forgiveness, and you know, and and described her recovery time and, and, and all she went through. And then I was able to get security to pass some of these pictures off to her as she completed her speech. And then she came back up to the podium and said, hey, there's a Vietnam vet out here. And I was certainly would like to meet him. And they escorted me. Oh, Bob, this just tears my heart up. They escorted me to meet her. And when our eyes met, with love and tears and hug, it was like, oh, my Lord in heaven. She knew those people, those kids. It wasn't her in, the, in the, that, that moment in time. But what a situation. Well, here we go. Years later, like all of a sudden, like last summer in June, my other good friend, Chuck Toysh, who's another Vietnam vet who builds peace libraries all throughout Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, tells me that Kim Phuc is coming in town and Chuck knew the relationship and the, and, the, and the background. He says, Joe, she wants to meet with you and we'll bring her into Milwaukee and we'll have a luncheon together. And oh my Lord in heaven, what a, what a gift. 
in time. And sure enough, I got a hold of you, Bob, and, and a number of other friends. I, I couldn't bring everybody, obviously, but, you know, and, and she came and, oh, the, the, there's pictures of her and I and all of us. <laughs> and we just hugged and we, I was just so, so pleased to, to be in the, in the presence of a very holy spiritual woman who has taken forgiveness as one of the key things of her life. And so uh, it turned out, as, as you might recall, I was very sick that day. And my friend Bob Pfeiffer, another Vietnam vet, said, Joe, I'm going to take you into the VA <laughs> because you look terrible. <laughs> and, and yeah, I'll, I'll not refer to that as a compliment, but I was sick. And But I told Bob, there ain't no way I was going to miss this. I said, if I die in the process of meeting her, I die doing what I love to do. And so anyway, I went off, and I, it turned out I was a, quite a bit low on blood, and I was quite sick. But I uh, certainly recovered. The VA did very, very good. And, and I have communicated with her a little bit since then. But, Bob, you, you just never know. And it's these type of experiences as a Vietnam vet, you know, where I take a look at the good and the bad and the ugly and saying, you know, I just take a look and am so grateful that I had the opportunity to be where I was at, to do what I did, and to be able, even though I, what I saw, much of very, very disgusting, terrible anger, the fact is that I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel that way anymore. You know, it's interesting, Joe, because the uh, sense that I had, a very powerful sense at that luncheon was the uh, two things. One, the degree of reverence that was extended by all of the veterans at that table to Kim Fook that day. And really, right. there it was a very quiet crowd. It reminded me, or that's the, it's the wrong phrase. It got me to think that Many Vietnam veterans seem to be seeking healing in some form, and I think that's what was part of the overriding spirit in the luncheon that day with Kim. Did, would you agree? Bobby, you really hit to be a, a terribly significant. You know, someone once told me the more we get out of ourselves, the more we get out of ourselves. And that statement to me, the more I got into understanding what happened to that young girl, that little girl, and all the years after that with Russia wanting her and, and Cuba wanting her and all this for to be the poster child of hate for the United States and saying, wait a minute, this, this experience, and how, could I, how could I look bad upon, the only thing I look bad upon the, the whole Vietnam situation is the sadness, and so it looks on both sides. Those people didn't want to kill us, and we didn't want to kill them. And it was a political mess. And the fact of the matter is, for some of our brothers, they're carrying the pain and the guilt. And I take a look at one way of trying to get my life in order and keep it in order, and quite frankly, following the love and respect of Kim Fook and saying, my God, look what happened to her. And, uh, and just say, well, you know, we did our job and we did it very, very well. And I guess the other thing, when I look at that young lady, 
And I think of all the brothers. And by the way, I did tell this to her privately. And it's not private anymore. But I told her, I hope you realize how many gave their life for you and me to be here today. And these gentlemen that are here with us, let me tell you, every single one of them would have put their life in front of yours. And I think you know that, Kim. And she does. And how can you not heal from something like that? She became an additional healer, if you will, Bob, by her presence and her book now. Her book, which is entitled Fire Road and features that photograph, the icon, one of the iconic photographs of Vietnam that you mentioned, Joe, is on the cover. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned the title of the book. Let me touch on one more thing, if you don't mind, and that is you have personally been struggling with um, a number of health issues in recent years with having uh, to uh, use oxygen and a fairly high amount of it and, and now use a wheelchair to uh, move from place to place. And for someone who was so remarkably active, almost unbelievably so through part of your life, I personally thought maybe this might put a crimp in your actions, but my God, <laughs> it hasn't seemed to slow you down a whole lot. You continue to extend yourself to uh, veterans of, of every stripe and to many organizations and the efforts of those groups to reach out to veterans and really try to make an impact on their lives. Why do you keep doing that, Joe? Well, one thing that you and we, most of us felt when we came home is that it wasn't home. And boy, what we experienced, most of us that were able to get a full tour in, but even those with a shorter tour because they were wounded and, and those that obviously that gave their absolute all. But I take a look at what am I going to do with this? They didn't like me. They didn't want me. You know, I kid about my kids. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm. I was in a world of my own and my own sympathy. And I figured, you know, if you saw what I saw, lived what I lived, you'd be angry too. Just leave me alone. Well, by God, Bob, I told enough people that and I drank enough to support it. That guess what? I, the people started leaving me alone. Now that's hard to believe for those that know me in the last 25 years. And to say that, okay, yep, as of this day, things are, <laughs> are slowing down quite a bit. And the Agent Orange is slowly but surely taking over parts of my body. And, oh, excuse me, I didn't do that on purpose. But my nervous system where I get shocks to the heart. And, yep, the wheelchair. But I'll tell you, I feel so blessed. And I know I'm going to probably get people saying, oh, he's blessed, blessed, blessed my ass. No, this guy is blessed. I take a look at every one of those guys on that wall that gave their life for me as you fought for me, Bob, as I fought for you. And I know of no better brotherhood other than Christ himself that to say, you know, you are important to me and we are going to get through this together and we are going to live a good life. I might quick point out at the end of Saving Private Ryan and I, probably one of the most touching scenes that has helped me personally immensely is when he goes to the grave of Captain Miller, Private Ryan, with his family. 
And he goes to the grave and says a prayer, kneels down, and his beloved wife comes up to him and taps him on the shoulder, and he gets up, and he looks at her. He says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And my God, she looks at him. What, what's wrong with you? You are a good man, and you've lived a good life. No, what he was saying was to Captain Miller, who told him on the, on the bridge when he was just before he died, earn this. And that's what he brought back. And not only did he bring it back, but it reinforced me, Bob. I have a lot to earn. And a little bit of uh, heart sharks, a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of more oxygen that's keeping me going. But I want you to know, and, and anyone that knows me, that the more you get out of yourself, the more you get out of yourself. I've been blessed far more by you and other people than I could ever give. But it is sure a lot of fun giving because it just keeps coming back. And I wouldn't be doing this interview if I didn't care about all my brothers, especially those that are suffering this day and have not been able to see or feel the peace and serenity that can come when you finally break from the anger and the resentment to the love and the care that we all offer each other. That's just a, a beautifully profound statement, Joel. I certainly can move into the close unless uh, I want to offer you the opportunity. If there's something uh, or anything that I didn't ask you about, please feel free to add that in now. Bob, the only thing I can say is that you have touched my heart. And you and this network has allowed me the opportunity and the privilege of sharing a little bit of my story. I am no saint by any means, but I'll tell you, I'm more of a saint than I certainly was that caused the alcoholism and a, and a bad marriage. But I have five wonderful children. I've got 11 beautiful grandchildren. My ex-wife is a very, very good friend and respected friend of me. And I would just say that is all come from forgiveness and service with gratitude. And so for this, I thank you, Bob. Joe, it's an honor to have you on board. It goes both ways, Bob. It goes both ways. Thank you. You're welcome. And God bless all. We've been visiting with Joe Campbell, Army veteran who served in both Germany and Vietnam. Joe is the subject of an earlier podcast, and if you haven't had the chance to uh, hear that segment, I encourage you to tune it in. Wonderful conversation. Again, Joe, our thanks for sharing such deeply meaningful feelings and emotions and your willingness to share them not only with veterans and their families, but obviously with all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us, and welcome home. Thank you, Bob. God bless. On behalf of our recording engineer, Iris, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. 
Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.